This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 30th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The Federal Reserve has claimed broad authority in the last two to three years, buying mortgage-backed securities, loaning to non-bank institutions, and making long-term loans to banks. They've all dramatically changed the Fed's balance sheet. Lawrence H. White, professor of economics at George Mason University and Cato Institute adjunct scholar, says the Fed has essentially changed from a conservatively invested Treasury bill mutual fund into a highly leveraged hedge fund full of assets no one wants to buy. We spoke at the Cato Institute's 27th Annual Monetary Conference held November 19th. It seems almost ridiculous to have to say it out loud that the rule of law matters when it comes to uh, deciding how we get our money, doesn't it? Uh, Well, it seems ridiculous to have to say that it should matter. (laughs) How much it does matter is uh, unfortunately not enough. Uh, our monetary system is sort of at the discretion, at the whim of central bankers these days. So we don't have the rule of law. We have rule by authorities. When did that begin? When did it begin that the uh, Federal Reserve uh, had this broad swath of powers that uh, it has claimed in these last couple of years? Uh, that's a good question. It It begins with the Federal Reserve Act, of course, but the Federal Reserve Act had a fairly limited a mission as, uh, ascribed to the Fed. Uh, the Fed ran the clearinghouse. The Fed checked on the solvency and, and liquidity of member banks. Not all banks were members of the Federal Reserve System. Not all banks were under the Fed's jurisdiction. And so th- those were the things that the private clearinghouse associations had done before the Fed. But monetary policy was basically left to the gold standard. So the Fed wasn't supposed to have a big role in monetary policy. But they discovered over time that they could, in fact, affect interest rates, could affect the value of the dollar. And they began in the 20s, I would say, experimenting with their powers. And one of those experiments uh, had the unfortunate effect of inflating the bubble that crashed in 1929. Does anyone argue that the, the Fed is insulated from political processes anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, people are studying ways in which the Fed is pressured and trying to measure how much pressure the Fed is under from various interests. But um, it's clear that the Fed in this last round of uh, working hand-in-hand hand with the Treasury has given up whatever independence it had. Uh, Alan Meltzer talked this morning about how Paul Volcker had invested a lot in reestablishing the independence of the Fed but it's all been squandered now. Walk us through some of the things that the Fed has done in the last two years that are entirely new. Well, they used to have a a balance sheet that was about, the assets were about 90% treasury securities, and that's how they operated monetary policy, by buying and selling treasury securities. In the last two years, they began to buy a wide variety of assets, uh, mortgage-backed securities, uh, loans to broker-dealers, loans to money market uh, mutual funds, or I should say purchases of assets from money market mutual funds, Uh, long-term loans to banks, loans to other kinds of non-banks besides uh, broker-dealers like investment banks. Uh, So their portfolio has changed radically over the last two years, and it's now less than half treasuries. And the majority of it is these new kinds of assets Uh, of very dubious value. So the Fed went from being a very conservatively invested uh, 
basically treasury bill mutual fund to being a highly leveraged hedge fund <laughs> where they own assets that nobody else wants to buy and so very difficult to know what they're worth. But they, you know, through the last two years brought out new lending program after lending program. They've also got some uh, very new items on the balance sheet, which are limited liability corporations under the aegis of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, Maiden Lane 1, 2, and 3, that are wholly owned subsidiaries of the Fed, and that's new, uh, formed to purchase assets uh, in the first case from Bear Stearns and the second and third cases from AIG. I suspect the Fed was advised by its legal team that, you know, there's nothing in the Federal Reserve Act that says we can buy dodgy assets uh, from whomever we please. And so the Fed said, well, but we can lend money to whoever we please. So let's lend money to these new subsidiaries and let them buy the assets that we're not directly allowed to buy. But that's of questionable uh, legal status, let's say. The Fed relies very heavily on a specific portion of the Federal Reserve Act for all of these new powers. What right. 13.3 is the, is the clause they keep citing. If you look at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which is updated every week online, it's H.4.1. Uh, the balance sheet has gotten longer and longer. Uh, there are more and more tables included in it, uh, uh, in this statement, I should say, uh, because they've got more and more to explain. But in the footnotes where they say such and such is a new lending program that the Fed has started, they always say, under the authority of Section 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act. And the language of Section 13.3 is that in exigent circumstances, the Fed can discount um, notes, bills, and something else of basically any financial firm or individual that it wants. But it's still limited to those kinds of assets. It doesn't say can buy just any kind of asset. It doesn't say the Fed can buy shares in financial corporations. Uh, but that which is supposed to be – oh, and exigent circumstances, by the way, are defined as occurring whenever the Fed finds that they exist. And finding means they take a vote <laughs> and they decide they want to do it. Uh, but this emergency provision has become the majority of the Fed's balance sheet, and it's not been limited to just you know a week or a month. It's going on and on. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight for it. Is this kind of situation that we find ourselves in now where the Federal Reserve is claiming a great deal of authority, likely inappropriately, uh, because of some extraordinary circumstances in, in the markets and uh, – with government policy, uh, is it inevitable that that occur when you have uh, discretionary central banking? That is, well, you we need this latitude. Is that just an inevitable consequence? I don't think this degree of really fiscal policy is what the Fed's engaged in is by any means inevitable. I mean, the Fed has a mission to provide monetary stability. But they can do that by buying and selling treasury bills, as was their policy for a long time. So they can use that to keep the money supply from shrinking uh, because, say, banks are sitting on reserves and not lending. Or to provide money to the public if the public is deciding to hoard money. Um, they don't need to use these unorthodox methods. 
what these methods do is try to I call them fiscal policy because they're trying to direct public funds to particular recipients. It's the sort of thing the, tre- the uh, Congress used to do when they said, let's vote to bail out the Chrysler Corporation. Right? They took an explicit vote. They committed a fixed number of funds. Uh, taxpayers got to yell and scream about it. Right? There was an open discussion of it. There's been very little discussion of what the Fed's doing because the Fed doesn't have to go to Congress and say, we want this many million, this many billion this many hundreds of billions for this project. They just finance it themselves by printing money, as the metaphor goes, by creating entries on their own balance sheet, uh, out of thin air, as it were. So there's been very little discussion of it. But no, I don't think it was necessary in order to do the Fed's job to get into this business of deciding this segment of the financial market needs so many hundred billions and that segment needs so many hundred billions. This firm deserves to have its bad assets purchased uh, so that some other bank will buy them. This firm, and uh, now let them fail. That's not the sort of uh, uh, business, it's not the sort of mission the Federal Reserve has or needs to have. Assuming it's possible that a, a Volcker-style breaking uh, on what is widely expected to be a pretty a dramatic inflation at some point in the future, right. uh, assuming that's possible, is there the will? Any, I mean, anywhere in the federal government? Well, Volcker had to bring inflation down after it had reached double digits. So uh, he sort of came in after the fact and had to... So there won't be that will until we see that? Well, we won't know until we see uh, what happens. Um, it's going to be difficult for the Fed to unwind its position precisely because it doesn't have a portfolio of all treasuries anymore. Treasuries are always very easy to sell when the Fed wants to shrink its balance sheet. It's got assets that can't be sold. The Fed has them because it thought somebody needed to have them and nobody else wanted them. So there's a very thin market for the sort of assets the Fed has now that's going to make it difficult to unwind its position. They may have to come up with new techniques other than ordinary sales of assets in order to uh, sterilize some of the bank reserves they've created. Whether they'll have the will, we'll find out. But uh, Bernanke keeps assuring us he has an exit strategy. He hasn't really told us where he's going to get the will to uh, execute it. What are the alternatives to uh, discretionary central banking? Well, there are many, but uh, you know, the traditional debate was rules versus discretion. Uh, rules presumes that there is a central bank on which the rules are fastened. I think Almost uh, many of the rules that are being discussed would be improvements, but my favorite reform is to eliminate the problem of discretionary central banking at the root by moving back to a monetary system without a central bank, uh, better than the one we had before the Federal Reserve Act. We had handicaps on commercial banks before that that gave rise to the panics of the late 19th century. Other countries didn't have that problem. We didn't need to have that problem, so if we eliminate Uh, That kind of regulation we had in the 19th century that restricted the ability of banks to meet the public's demand for currency, Um, we can have a stable monetary system without a central bank exercising discretion over it. So it would be a monetary system where the rule of law prevails, the, the rule of contract prevails. Money is backed by the contractual obligation of banks to redeem it in in something of tangible value. Lawrence H. White is a professor of economics at George Mason University and a Cato Institute adjunct scholar. You can watch Cato's 27th annual monetary conference at cato.org.